Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, everyone. This is Johnny Tan, author of From My Mama's Kitchen, Food for the Soul, Recipes for Living. Welcome to my weekly From My Mama's Kitchen talk radio show. My guest for this morning is Amy Newmark, the publisher and editor-in-chief for Chicken Soup for the Soul. Amy and I will be discussing a topic that is very endearing to me. For Mom with Love is Chicken Soup's Mother's Day edition. The book launch is today, and I am so thankful for having this interview with Amy. So, Amy, good morning. How are you doing today? I'm good. Hey, this is my first interview about this book. Thank you. I'm really happy to be launching it with you because your interview gives me the chance to spend a whole hour talking about my new baby. (laughs) Awesome. For Mom with Love is a wonderful read. The stories rekindled many heartfelt memories for me, and it was actually a tough book for me to read because it really, really drew me back to the good old days in many, many ways, and things that I've learned in life. So congratulations on the book launch today. Oh, thanks. It was uh, it was really fun to put it together because we wanted to make a book that showed mothers all the different ways that they're loved and appreciated. And so we went through our last eight years' worth of stories that we've published yeah. We selected the 101 that we thought best best showed mothers why what they do is so appreciated and why all that hard work is worth doing. The stories are fascinating. It really gets you from the inside. And what's more interesting and fascinating to me is the fact that uh, you guys have selected the Boys and Girls Club of America as the benefactor for all royalties. Please tell us a little bit more about that. Well, we've been doing this more and more. We've been uh, taking our books and using them as a way to raise money for worthwhile nonprofits, really well-run nonprofits that do great work, where we feel that the money we donate will be put to very good use. And Mm -hmm. we love the Boys and Girls Clubs of America. I mean, my whole life I've known about the Boys and Girls Clubs. We have a wonderful one in our town. It's Mm -hmm. superb. In fact, they have hiking trails that are within walking distance of my house, and I send them a contribution every year because they maintain this network of hiking trails in a summer camp that they have. So I'm a beneficiary of the Boys and Girls Clubs, even though I am a grown-up. But we thought, why not take all of the royalties that would have gone to an outside author on this book and instead do the book without an outside author and give all of that money to Mm -hmm. the Boys and Girls Clubs of America They have 4,000 clubs across the nation, and it really makes sense because the reason I thought it should tie into this book is because moms can use the Boys and Girls Clubs for their after-school care. Right. And it's a great way for kids to have adult supervision in a very nurturing environment where they are empowered to do good things. They do sports. They study. They get tutoring. They form relationships with other adults. They form relationships with other children, maybe not from their own schools. So I thought, what better what better cause for us to support with a Mother's Day book than the Boys and Girls Clubs? I agree totally. My mom always said that it's, it's during the childhood time of a person that you can really 
build the foundation for the good future. So the Boys and Girls Club does that at a unique level in the sense that these are, this is an organization that helps mothers everywhere to have their child being pointed in the right direction in giving them the basic core fundamental values about being a good human being and how to succeed in life while we're here and now. You know, they always say it takes a village, right, to raise a child. And we don't have villages anymore except in some wonderful small towns. And therefore, the Boys and Girls Clubs becomes that village that helps Mm -hmm. a family raise their children. Yeah, so true. The book is wonderfully put together. I love the design, the workmanship in terms of everything that went into the book. What approach did your assistant publisher and your senior editor take to make this book extra special and more appealing? So what you're referring to is the fact that uh, Barbara LaMonaco and Diet Corona, who are our two um, longest employees uh, mm-hmm. at Chicken Soup for the Soul, they've each been with us something like 20 years, um, I asked them to go through all of the stories we've published since 2008 and find the ones that they thought would be the best for a mom to read in a Mother's Day gift. And they have all of the right experience because Diet um, just sent her son off to college, so she went mm-hmm. through all those child-raising years. Now she ha- is an empty nester, and she has a mom and a grandmother, and she has a stepmother, so she knows all the different kinds of mother figures out there. And then Barbara is a grandmother, and um, and nursed her mother through Alzheimer's, and so she has that kind of experience. And I felt that between the two of them, we brought a wealth of experience to the selection process and that they would understand what mothers would like to read, everyone from new mothers to great-grandmothers. It's totally awesome, totally awesome. In your introduction, you quoted inspirational author Marion Garrity, mother's love is the fuel that enables a normal human being to do the impossible. As a mother, and perhaps as a daughter, can you share your personal experiences? So I think any parent looks at the process of raising children, and no matter what stage you're at, whether your child is 2 or whether your child is 32, you look back at the time you've already spent raising your child, and you say, I don't know how I did it. I couldn't do that again because it requires so much time. It requires so much of your mental energy and your emotional energy to raise a child. And you just think, I could never do it again. It's impossible. And yet we all somehow rise to the challenge and we do it. But it really is impossible. And then I think that we also develop a great respect for our own parents and I know that it, was, it wasn't until I was raising my own children that I realized just how much my mother had done for, my, for me and my two siblings and how hard it was. You, just, you don't appreciate it until you have to do it yourself. And so this book really is an expression of that great appreciation we have for mothers of all ages with children at all ages and stages. So true, so true. Like I mentioned to you before we got on the air, the book really got to me in terms of my memories of my various moms that I've experienced over the years. 
And it was difficult for me to read because it they were, it, it brought back some really, really heartfelt moments that I had. And especially what's interesting about it is that in the moment, it is not as impactful as it is right now, looking backwards at the time where I can feel, and to this day right now, the moment of vulnerability on my end, hopelessness and so forth, and having my mom being there, the various moms at different times in my life, that's always there to somehow, no worries, this is what you need to do, no worries, this is the way to do it, no worries, I'm here for you. <laughs> and that makes a big difference in my life. Yeah, that in, that uncondition, unconditional love and support mm-hmm. is one of the things that I think we value the most about our mothers. And as mothers, it's probably the most valuable thing we can offer to our children. Right? That's really the umbrella under which yeah. we conduct our child raising, that umbrella <laughs> of unconditional love and support. And even when your child perhaps does something bad and you yeah. are correcting your child, reprimanding your child, punishing your child, yeah. there's still that umbrella of unconditional love that yeah. that is somehow li- lying on top of whatever discipline you're imposing. Right, right. So true. I always remember what one of my moms always told me, you're never wrong, you just made a mistake, and we can correct that. <laughs> right, you're not bad, you just did a bad thing. Right. Yeah, yeah, you know. <laughs> Uh, and, and that's how I coin out the the, the phrase of uh, I believe everybody sets out in life to do things right, but in the course of in the course of trying to do something right, you may not do the right thing sometimes. And so now, having said that, not you know, I mean, there are always exceptions to the rule, but in in the, at its core, that's what it is all about. I, I know that people get up in the morning trying to do things right. Correct. And even a kid who sometimes doesn't do the right thing, mm-hmm. he didn't really mean to. It just kind of happened. And, oh, my gosh, kids can do the dumbest things. Yeah. Yeah. The best yeah. kids, when they hit those teenage years, can do the <laughs> dumbest things, right? <laughs> and then they come out of it in their 20s, and they're back to being wonderful <laughs> again. And mothers have to just live through that know that their kid is fine, it's just the age, right? Right, And right. Uh, And not give up hope and not stop showing that unconditional love and support. And I'm so glad you brought up the point that somewhere along the line in the growth of the child, and when it gets to the teenage years and once you get to the early 20s, then you realize that the child is, wow, you know, he's, he's absorbed all the things that I've taught the child or shared with the child over the years, it really kind of sank in. And that's what happened to me in the sense that when the going gets tough and I'm looking back, wow, I'm so thankful for the foundation that I've been exposed to. It didn't mean much while I was going through it at that time. But as time goes by, when I'm tested by the world I'm living in, then I realized that I had a pretty good foundation. And that comes back to the idea about you talking about investing in the Boys and Girls Club of America because at its core, that's what it's all about. It's helping the kids build a solid foundation that they may not necessarily appreciate it in the moment, but sometime down the road, it's almost like a database that's in your brain that you can uh, download and say, gee, I know how to handle that. (laughs) 
You are so right, and it's something that you have to do as a parent. You just have to soldier on mm-hmm. and impart these lessons to the children, pass on that wisdom, that culture, that worldview, no matter how much they resist, no matter how much flack you get, because it's remarkable how even as they're resisting you, all of a sudden, a day after you've perhaps um, imparted wisdom to them that they've seemingly resisted, you'll hear them parrot it back to you a day later. And the best thing you can do at that point is not say, oh, that's what I told you yesterday. (laughs) The best thing you can do is just nod your head and say, oh, yes, that's a good idea. And I did that a thousand times during my kids' (laughs) teenage and early 20s years. (laughs) So this book is just terrific. How can the book truly help new moms and future mothers? I think it can give mothers the courage to do what they believe is right, to soldier on, as I've said, um, doing those things, imparting those values to their children, because reading these stories from grown-up children who talk about what they learned from their mothers, how much they valued those lessons, how much they're emulating their mothers now, will give young mothers the um, the, the the view of the reward that no matter how hard it is now, you will be rewarded. Your kids really are listening. And so we have a lot of stories in the book where grown-up kids talk about how their mothers really were role models, even though the kids were apparently not listening at the time. Right, right. And that's so true. I can speak from experience. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I think we all can. We were all rotten kids. <laughs> right, right, right. So you all have some wonderful chapters in the book. I thought it was, again, it was very well formulated in terms of really getting to the heart of the matters. Please share those various chapters in the book with us. Well, you can tell that these chapter titles were written by a mom. Uh, the first chapter <laughs> contains stories um, about moms being a teacher. So the chapter is called Thanks for Being My Teacher. And then the second chapter, moms will love this one, second chapter is called Thanks for Always Being Right, mm-hmm. <clears throat> which my son, who's 29, is now always saying, you know, she always is right, we should just not resist. <laughs> <laughs> and then the third chapter is all about that unconditional love we were talking about, and it's called Thanks for Being There. And the fourth chapter is about how moms are always there to help their kids no matter what they're going through or how moms were role models for getting through challenges. And so the fourth chapter is called Thanks for Your Strength. The fifth chapter is a whole bunch of different stories about fun things that moms did, unusual things that moms did, and uh, just you know some unusual things that the kids are recounting now that they've grown up. And that chapter is called Thanks for the Memories. And then the sixth chapter is called Thanks for Being My Role Model. And, you know, as we've talked about, kids really do emulate their mothers eventually. Uh, So it is worth hanging in there and demonstrating everything you want your child to turn into. And the seventh chapter is a lot of fun stories, and it's called Thanks for the Laughter. The eighth chapter is, is again, about that unconditional love and support, and it's called Thanks for Being My Rock. And then the ninth chapter maybe isn't as fun, but (laughs) it's a worthwhile chapter because it's about 
more what happens in the later years when kids all of a sudden find themselves turning into parents for their parents. And the ninth mm-hmm. chapter is called, And Now I Take Care of You. And, you know, if your parents are only in their 50s, 60s, 70s right now, and you're not there yet, it's worth reading these stories because this is probably where things are going to go when your parents are in their 80s and 90s. Mm-hmm. And it's worth seeing what happens and how a grown child ends up starting to take care of an elderly parent. So true. I, I've i encountered that myself personally, and I know there are a lot of people out there, and this is where a period where I coined pretty much we are our parents' parents. Yeah, that's what happens. And um, I know with my parents now, you know, they've dramatically reduced their driving. They're 84 mm-hmm. and 87, um, and that has happened slower than I wish, but you know, you can't ground your parents as much as you wish you could. This is everyone's complaint. Like, they took the keys away from me when I was 16, but I can't take the keys away from them. There you go. Well, you can eventually, of course. Luckily, my yeah. parents have, uh, they're only driving, you know, on their mm-hmm. local roads now where they know everything. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I'm going through it now. And it's funny, when I started working as publisher of Chicken Soup for the Soul in 2008, mm-hmm. I wasn't there yet with my parents mm-hmm. because they were in their 70s. And mm-hmm. now we are there. And so while I've been here, I've worked on so many books and so many stories about caring for elderly parents. And it's interesting that originally I thought, oh, none of this applies to me. Mm-hmm. And now it does apply to me. I am Definitely there. Mm-hmm. I'm so glad you brought about the driving conditions and so forth. I have one of my late moms. It was very interesting. She used to drive just the right, making right turns only. And At least you can't she ever was go self-aware. Wrong. Yes. <laughs> right, she yes. was she self-aware. Was she knew self-aware. she couldn't handle yeah. left turns anymore. <laughs> and it was very interesting. And we had we had a great, wonderful memories and laughs about that, but... She drew. She drove basically till uh, to the day that she passed on. In the sense that, you know, she was able to drive, and and she was very conscientious about that. She says, you know, all I'm taking is all right turns. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I and think that that's what one. you look for. You look for them to adjust their driving and do what makes sense for them as they get older. Right. Right. So true. Well, it's time for us to review all the various. Stories in the book, I have selected several as usual, and these are wonderful stories that really kind of get to me from a personal standpoint of view. It reflects on my own personal experience uh, with my various moms in my lives. And so let's start with the first chapter, Thanks for Being My Teacher, The Good Parts by Victoria Fadden. So Victoria finally realized when she was a grown-up and a mother herself she she realized why her mother always seemed to eat the most disgusting things when Victoria was growing up. You know, her mother would eat the crusts from sandwiches, the burnt pieces of toast, the soggy last few inches of pizza slices that no one else wanted. She would eat, you know, the the crushed chips left in the bottom of the potato chip bag. And she always seemed to have the worst clothing. She never looked as good as her kids. And she was embarrassing. Victoria thought her mother was just so embarrassing. And then when Victoria became a mother, 
she realized her mother left the clothing budget for her children, and that's why she kept wearing old clothes. She wanted her kids to get the new shoes and the nice party clothing, and her mother wanted the kids to get the good pieces of pizza and the non-burnt pieces of toast. And Victoria ends her story saying, when you're a parent, you don't mind giving up the good parts. Um, And she says that now she finally appreciates her mom, which is a common refrain in this book. Mm -hmm. She says, I had a mother who gave me all the good parts in hope that one day I'd grow up to be that kind of parent too. And we start Mm -hmm. the the story with a wonderful quote from Taneva Jordan, and the quote is this, a mother is a person who, seeing there are only four pieces of pie for five people, promptly announces she never did care for pie. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. This very first book set the tone for me because I remember my mom go to great lengths in making sure that my sister and I have the very best. And in many cases, to her expense, it's okay. She's always pushing forward in terms of when you talk about pieces of meat that we would eat. And of course, in my personal case, I don't eat vegetables. So the whole family end up eating lots of vegetables with very little meat, and I end up getting all the meat <laughs> in the things that she cooked. And she, she went to the extra length in doing so. And you know, back then, you really don't think about that great big of a deal for her to do that. But in looking back in hindsight, that's like you mentioned, it's pure unconditional love. Yeah, I remember there was a story in one of our other books. I can't remember anymore which book it was, Mm -hmm. but it was a story where um, the girl remembered as she was growing up that the family would get a pack of gum. And I guess there are five sticks in a normal pack Mm -hmm. of gum. Mm -hmm. And there were the mother and the father and four children. And so the mother always said, oh, I don't like gum. And so the father and the four kids would each get a stick of gum. And then the girl grew up, and she was with her mom one day, and she saw her mom buy a pack of gum and take out a stick and put it in her mouth with such delight. And she realized, oh, my gosh, my mother always loved gum. But she never took a stick because there were only five and there were six of us. Mm-hmm. And it was mm-hmm. a revelation for her. But that's what we mothers do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And as a child, we don't appreciate it as much because now looking back, then we realize that those are the the tiny sacrifices that our moms do that meant a whole lot to us, but actually it meant a whole lot more to her than it is to us. Well, yes, moms do enjoy making those sacrifices for their kids because you couldn't really live with yourself as a mother if you didn't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the next story is still in the same chapter, Thanks for Being My Teacher, Standing Out by Patricia Gordon. So in this story, Patricia is the daughter of a Japanese mother and an American father, and she talks about the strength that it took for her mother to move to the U.S., where she didn't speak the language, where she didn't understand the culture. She was just a stranger in a strange land, And it never bothered Patricia growing up that her mom looked different from the other moms because Patricia looked different from the other kids as well, being half Japanese. 
Um, but it wasn't until Patricia enrolled in a Japanese language class in college and saw how different the language was and how different the culture was that she realized the huge adjustment that her mother had made when she followed Patricia's father to the United States. And now that she's doing um, Japanese homework every night and calling her mom to get help on her grammar, she sees how thrilled her mother is, even though her mother never imposed this on her and never said, oh, I want you to learn Japanese. And so they're a lot closer now as Patricia learns more about her mother's native language and native land. Uh, And Patricia says that she realizes now how smart her mother had to be to learn how to assimilate into the United States. And I'm sure that this story meant a lot to you since you assimilated Mm -hmm. into the United States from Asia, from a Chinese culture in Malaysia, right? You had a Mm -hmm. a Malaysian Mm -hmm. and Chinese upbringing. Yeah. So, I yeah, I can see why you picked this. It's the kind of thing a mom <laughs> won't talk about, but then yeah. the kid really appreciates it later when she realizes it. Yeah. I, you know, again, when you're in the moment, you don't think about stuff like that. Uh, you have to be away from it. And then as you look back and then you realize, like, wow, that's a huge decision. Like in my case, my mom at 18 pushing me to go to the United States knowing that She's not going to be able to see me for a long time. And no one thought the fact that that long time would have been, would be eight years before we finally meet each other. And at another seven years before I actually had a chance to go home to visit her in Malaysia. So that's the chance that she took. And she stuck by the guns. And those are just one of the many things in life that I think as a child at the moment, wow, gee, I can't wait to be in the United States, <laughs> get away from the family. And if I can only go back in time and like, you know, and not necessarily being me at the time, but just like going back, time travel and being in the room and having my mom process all that thought and in making that decision that says, this is it, we got to do this. Uh, Johnny, you got to learn this. You got to do this. You got to do that. My mom never had any education at all, but she knows what an A looks like, what a B looks like, and she knows red stands for failing grade, <laughs> blue is good grade, and she knows what the one, two, three, all the way to one hundred looks like, and so kept us in in check. My sister and I to make sure that we we in school and we get good grades. And that's fascinating. And nowadays, you know, you don't hear about stuff like that, about how disciplined she was in terms of getting us understand the value of education and so forth. Well, the other thing that your mom did was she recognized something in you because there aren't that many kids who at age 18 can move to another country. And it's not just moving to another country, but in your case, the language was going to be so different. It's not like moving from, say, France to the U.S., where you're still using the same alphabet and you still have a a language that's based partly on Latin, et cetera. You were were really adopting a new culture, a new language, a new alphabet. It was a very, Mm -hmm. very different experience for you, and she recognized that you at age 18 could actually pull that off. Yeah, yeah. And she believed in me more than I believe in myself in many ways at times when you think about that. 
That's what mothers are for. <laughs> oh, that ties beautifully into the next story that I know mm-hmm. you were going to talk about. It's a perfect example of a mother recognizing uh, something that her son can do that no one else thinks he can do. And go that's ahead. the story. The yeah. yeah. Okay, I'll go ahead. This is yeah, a, this yeah. is a story called "The Most Important Day of My Life." And it's in Chapter 2, Thanks for Always Being Right. And it's by Patrick Coomer. And I know why you identified it, because it's a mother who truly knows her son. And in this case, Patrick was born with um, like a big bruise on his brain. His mother had fallen and landed on her pregnant, you know, belly Mm -hmm. the day before Mm -hmm. he was born. And he had a, a big, like, blood hematoma in his brain, and the doctors said that he was going to need to be institutionalized, that he would never walk, never talk, you know, that he was severely mentally impaired. They used the word retarded back then because it was 1960. Yeah. And the mother knew that that wasn't the case, and she spent years working with him, physical therapy, exercises, mental exercises, and Patrick ended up being absolutely fine, this kid was actually so smart that he hated the doctors because he knew that the doctors were underestimating his ability. So even when he was 18 months old and he went to see doctors, he refused to speak to them, which just continued to convince them that they were right and there was something wrong with him. And at the moment the doctor left the room, he turned to his mom and said, go home now. And he would always do that. Even in third grade, he hated his teacher, so he refused to speak to her. And the teacher reported again that he was mentally disabled. And his mother said, no, he just hates you. I'm moving him to a different (laughs) class. And in that other class, he thrived and got straight A's and was fabulous. And he ended up being an athlete and and a great student and, you know, is now a father and He owes it all to the fact that his mother would not listen to those doctors. She knew her kid. And remember, this was, wow, this was more than 50 years ago when we didn't have all of the physical therapy and all the professionals that they have now. So his mother basically had to just invent all of this therapy that she did Mm -hmm. back then. But that mother's intuition really paid off, and she got her son back to normalcy. It's a beautiful story. I think that's where the determination of the mom foresaw what the capabilities of her child. And this is a classic example where in so many ways, I mean, I'm trying to make you know fun of it in a way because parents have the child's life pretty much sketched out <laughs> long before the child can call out the name mom and dad, so to speak. Mothers really do know their kids better. I remember when my daughter was in maybe second grade, they wanted her to go to summer school. And I said, she doesn't need it. I want her to go to camp and have Mm -hmm. fun and run around outside and do sports. And I just flat out refused to let her go to summer school because I knew that they were wrong. My daughter is left-handed. And I I know that sometimes left-handed kids... They do some of the academic things later, yeah, and I just yeah. I knew I was right. And you know, she ended up being first in her class pre med when she graduated from college. Mm-hmm. Went to med school. She's a doctor now. Like I was right, and they were wrong. 
And then there's a stigma too about for a long time about lefties, I guess, in many ways. I mean, I remember I, you know, I'm left-handed myself, and I grew up in a culture. Oh my God, we got to teach this kid how to write right-handed because it's yeah, a no-no. Yeah, that that went away. But you know, it's yeah. still it's still everything is set up for right-handed people. I mean, yeah, even the yeah. direction in which the text goes, it works better mm-hmm. for right-handed people. The way we're taught to write works better for right-handed <laughs> people. So it is true. And I, re- I knew that my brother, who's left-handed, who's super yeah. smart and went to Stanford, yeah. I yeah. knew that he hadn't read as early as I had read because he's yeah. left-handed. And, yeah. I mean, it's it's just some people who are left-handed are extremely creative, and they just do... They do some of those academic things a little bit later than the righties, but right. they end up, you know, being even actually more capable because they're pretty ambidextrous. I don't know about you, but I know in my daughter's case, it's yeah. really wonderful now as a surgeon yeah. to have that greater ability with both hands than we righties have. Oh, so true. I can write a little bit with my right hand. I've gotten away from it because I always favor my left hand. But what's interesting about it when playing sports I play golf right-handed rather than left-handed. But when I play tennis, I play left-handed tennis. And I can bat both ways. When I play cricket, I can play, uh, bat either one. And so it, it, it's, it's sort of uh, how you feel. And, and I feel good about that, <laughs> being able to switch back and forth. That's great, especially for tennis. You can have two forehands. <laughs> so the next chapter is really wonderful. Thanks for always being right. And I know as a mom, you love that word, thanks for always being right. <laughs> and the story, the most important day of my life, no, you covered that, that, that. That's the one that you just covered. I'm sorry. The next chapter is thanks for being there. And the story is A Child Like Me by Lisa Schliff. So this is a great story. Mm-hmm. It's actually a poem. We had a number of really excellent poems in this Chicken mm-hmm. Soup for the Soul book. And this poem was originally in our book, Chicken Soup for the Soul, The Joy of Adoption. And it's about um, a kid who thinks that nobody is going to want her. And so she says, you know, with my unclear past and broken heart, who would want a child like me? And then she sees a prospective mother walking into the room where she is. And this little girl is hoping that she's going to be adopted. And she says, you know, I watch her walk into the room. From a distance, I can see, but dare I take a closer step? Who would want a child like me? And then the woman smiles at the little girl, and she says, do I even dare to dream that she would want a child like me? And, you know, the poem ends with the mother saying to this little girl, the child I want is you. And I happen to know that the woman who wrote the poem um, is about to adopt her fifth child. So she's actually um, an adoptive mother herself. But I thought that it was a really heartwarming poem. Um, and there's, and I, started the, I started it with a quote from the National Adoption mm-hmm. Center. And the quote says, there are no unwanted children, just unfound families. Mm-hmm. It's a beautiful poem. And I chose this particular story is because of me being adopted and my sister was adopted. And it reflects a lot more about my sister in the sense that she was adopted when she was a little bit older than I was. I was adopted at birth. And 
there were times in our lives, my sister and I, we talked about that in terms of like, wonder what would life have been had we been with our birth mother. And then the moment in time when, you know, when mom disciplined us, would she have treated us different if we were her child, her, her blood child, I guess, in a way. And in the end, of course, as adults now, looking back, that's tough love. You need that. That helps us build the person who we are today. And we're very thankful for that. It's a good mother who does the tough love thing because it yeah. actually takes it takes more work to be that kind of mother. Right. It's the easy way out is not to do that. You have to yeah, you have to do that. Well, was your sister adopted when she was old enough to remember her life before being adopted? Not quite, but she was I believe around 4 or 5 years old. I mean enough to Oh you know, yeah, to know she something. Was, she yeah, was old yeah. enough to be like the little girl in this poem. Yeah, yeah. So she kind of realized she understands and she's uh, is 6 years older than I am. Of course, I was adopted at birth, but then yet they you know, we don't think about stuff like that when uh, you know, everything is good, we get whatever we want. Don't forget as a child, all our wants are our uh, our needs. <laughs> <laughs> so it's when the going gets stuff is when we don't get what we want is when we start to question those kind of things and in looking back in hindsight uh, that's where the tough love comes in and it's because of that that makes us who we are today successful in our own ways and so forth and all that and and I think that's a tough thing for a child to go through and and especially in uh, here in the United States is a little bit different than in uh, in in Asia, because in Asia, you know, being adopted first and foremost you're unwanted number one, and as an adopted mom first and foremost that doesn't look good because you are not as fertile as you should be, so all these uh, stigmas that society add upon you, and so you're starting out five, six steps behind everybody else in the first place. Well, hopefully there isn't that stigma today, even though no, there probably I, I was. No, I so, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's society, unfortunately. That's that's reality. I, you know, it's, it's a shame. And, uh, and not so much more now, but then it's still in the back of people's mind. I mean, you know, unfortunately that's life in a way, but it's how we look at things. It's how we go forward with our lives, that makes a big difference, I think. And in so many ways, in my sister and my situation, actually, because of the love that we got from our parents, that we in turn love them like, you know, who we are. That's it. As a human being, adopted or not is irrelevant. And we actually treat our parents better than some of the people that so-called, you know, among our relatives, that uh, so-called blood child, I guess. <laughs> you want to call it that way. And so... uh you know, so I think it's it's all individualized from that standpoint of view. I think that your parents adopting you means they tried even harder to get oh, yeah. you. Yeah, yeah, so true. The next beautiful story, and I love this story, is in the same chapter, Thanks for Being There, Pizza Night by William Baldwin. 
so this is an example of the fact that in this Chicken Soup for the Soul book, uh, For Mom with Love, we have stories about the other maternal figures in our lives, our stepmothers, our grandmothers, our mothers-in-law, aunts who might act like mothers. And in this case, um, William Baldwin talks about his grandmother, and he says that he didn't really learn to appreciate his grandmother until his first week of college, and he was very unhappy, and he decided to go home that first weekend after spending that week at college. And he drove home, and nobody was there. And then he thought, oh, my grandmother only lives 10 minutes away. I'll go see if she's home. He drove over there, surprised her. She had him come inside. She made him a frozen pizza that she doctored with all kinds of good stuff. And then he realized that his grandma was really listening to him. And he thought it was so nice having somebody who would just listen intently to what he had to say. And he started making a point of visiting his grandma at least once a month during his college years. And uh, four years later, he writes in his story that he's still having those pizza nights with his grandmother. So I, I thought that was good. I'm looking forward to being a grandmother myself one day and having that grandchild who knows that he can yeah. come and visit with me and have, you know, a a person who has some wisdom to dispense but also will just sit and listen. Yeah. Well, what's interesting about that story, it, again, it resonates with me with all the various moms that I've met in my lifetime. And what happens here is that for whatever reason, as a mom sometimes we don't live in the present moment, but a child is in the now. And for whatever reason, again, maybe grandparents have more time, they are actually in the now. <laughs> and you That's have that true. wonderful conversation. Yeah, that is true. Grandparents, I, I remember thinking that mm-hmm. about my grandmothers, that I always yeah. knew I would get that unconditional love, that they thought I was the best at everything. At my grandmother's funeral, <laughs> I stood up and delivered the eulogy, and I said, if uh-huh. my if I had been a bank robber, my grandmother would have said I was the best bank robber ever. <laughs> the next chapter is Thanks for Your Strength. And this is a wonderful story, Return to Hot Mountain by Jesse Mayeko Santala. I'm really glad that you have asked me to speak about this story because I think it is very relevant to what's going on in the mm-hmm. country today. And it's a good reminder of of a very big mistake that the U.S. government made in the past, and that was in World War II putting all of these Japanese-American citizens into the internment camps, these patriotic Americans who were put behind barbed wire for years. And in fact, I think I'm going to use this story for my Chicken Soup for the Salt podcast because I, you know, look Mm -hmm. for really good stories to, to tell people about in the podcast So in this case, Jessie decided to go to Wyoming and visit the internment camp that her Japanese grandmother had been put put in during World War II. And her grandmother was kept there for three years. It was called the Heart Mountain Relocation Camp. And when Jessie went to visit it, it was pretty much falling apart, but you could still see the buildings. You could still see the barbed wire fencing around it. Um, you could see what used to be the hospital where her grandmother 
lost her first baby when she was only a day old. And Jessie went there because she wanted to somehow find forgiveness in her heart for what was done to her grandmother and also find some closure. And she did. I mean, the reality of what had happened to her grandmother really hit her as she stared at the same landscape that her grandmother had stared at for three years. But in her grandmother's case, she was looking at that landscape through barbed wire. Mm -hmm. And Jessie says that she brought all those years of resentment and anger with her, but she managed to leave them there in Wyoming and walk away from visiting that camp free. She found forgiveness in her heart, and she was able to move on with her life after going and visiting that camp. It is a beautiful story, and with the situation that you had mentioned just now about in today's society that we're living in right now, in our current situation, political situation, and so forth, as I mentioned many times in my show, we have a choice, two choices, basically. We look through the lens of fear, or do we look through the lens of love? And that will help you to decide how your action will be afterwards whenever you look at things. And I think in life it's a shame that if we as a society, we believe that we have evolved as Americans, then we need to look at this current situation, whatever that may be, through the lens of love. And what's interesting about it is our heart can create that desire. Our mind will somehow find solutions for it, but then the most important thing in life, it is our will that will have to kick in in order for us to act on it. We just can't sit by the sidelines. I thought it was an important story, and I can see why you picked it. And I I know why you picked the next story, (laughs) which is in the Thanks for the Memories chapter, because I can just imagine how you read this story, and it reminded you so much of your life coming over here to go to college and living in people's homes and finding these new maternal figures. And in this story, which is called House of Sunshine and Tears, uh, J.D. Cheney talks about how he was a college student and he needed to rent a room, you know, an inexpensive room. And he rented a room from a widow who had never rented out a room before, but she wanted the money and she wanted to have someone else in her house to keep her safe. And she ended up being like a grandmother to him. And the very first night he was there, she cooked him a nice dinner of chicken and rice. And I was just hungry reading that in this book. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and this this woman had been through so much herself. And she was such a role model for JD also because she had been she had she had she was German, and she and her husband had to leave Germany because Hitler came to power, and they lost their daughter to polio, unfortunately, and then it appeared that they were going to be sent to a concentration camp. So she and her husband smuggled themselves out of Germany through Switzerland, eventually landed in New York in 1938, and her husband found work um, as a researcher for a beverage company, even though he had been a chemist back in Germany. And... uh, and they made a life in the United States. And then she took in this college student and taught him a lot and was a wonderful role model for him, a real grandmother figure for him. It's a beautiful story. I love it. It reminded me the of the eight moms that I met 
in my journey here in United States over the years, and each one contributed in a very special way at that particular moment in my life, and I'm so thankful for that. The next chapter is Thanks for Being My Role Model. The story is The Lady in the Mirror by Terry Letcher. So I think this one is a little bit funny because I think that many women have this this experience where you look in the mirror and as you get older, you start seeing your mother more and more as you look in the mirror. And it's really startling. It's funny. My sister and I look so much alike. Uh, I'm six years older than her, but now that we're both in our 50s, we're looking more and more alike, and people are startled when they see us, and we both look mm-hmm. like our mother. So when they see the three of us together, people are I see people taking a double take. And my sister was saying to me, I look in the mirror now, and I see you, Amy. And I said to her, just wait. You just wait, because I'll tell you what's coming next. You're going to look in the mirror, and you're going to see Mom. And that's what's happening, and that's what this poem is about. It's about looking in the mirror and seeing your mom looking back at you and how um, Terry first was a little nonplussed by this but then came to really like it and realized that her mother was very pretty and that she was lucky to look like her mother, et cetera. But it's a very, very common thing that you hear from women. I can't believe how much I'm starting to look like my mother. (laughs) I chose that story because of my sister, since my mom's passing three years ago, my sister is starting to really pick up all the things that my mom's uh, character-wise and so forth, and in some ways, I guess, looks and everything else. But it was the, it's the uniqueness of now all of a sudden my sister's into gardening, uh, into uh, thinking about health and, and so forth, and even the way she talked, everything that sort of, mimics my mom and so it's kind of exciting and I'm I'm having a great time every time when I talk to her over the phone (laughs) yeah we do tend to turn into our mothers whether we like it or not (laughs) and the next one is thanks for being my role model and the story is Burnt by Lisa Wright Dixon so this was an example of a mother displaying extraordinary strength Mm -hmm. and determination and really doing the impossible. Lisa's mother recovered from a horrendous burn. She was in a car accident and, uh, I'm sorry, in a house fire and she was burned over 70% of her body. The burn was so bad that her mother was kept in a medically induced coma for the first four months because she wouldn't have been able to live through the pain of recovering from the burn. And her mother always displayed a plucky spirit. She went out in public. She wasn't ashamed of how she looked. And she just showed her daughter this incredible spirit, can-do attitude, uh, positive positivity, really. And so Lisa says, no matter what life brings to me, I try to remember to see the glass as half full. I owe it to my mom who never gave up. It's a wonderful story. It reminded me a lot about my mom in Malaysia and how she grew up during the war and the things that she went through in her lifetime. 
and having experienced three miscarriages and so forth, and the society pressure that I had mentioned earlier in our conversation about a woman not being able to have her own child. She adopted my sister first from a different family and then adopted me. And then having the strength to let me basically leave home to go halfway around the world, knowing that there are, there's a possibility that we will not be connecting as frequently as we should. Uh, it, it just showed tremendous amount of strength, determination from a mother's perspective. And the next story is, this is wonderful. Thanks for the laughter. A Fistful of Dollars by Gail Eon. So in this case, not everybody might approve of this, but I thought it was pretty <laughs> funny, and so did my editors. Um, Gail was invited to her friend's 45th birthday party, but Gail's 82-year-old grandmother was, or her grandmother-in-law mm-hmm. So even riskier, right? Her grandmother-in-law <laughs> was coming to visit. So she asked her friend, can I bring my grandmother-in-law to your 45th birthday party? Now, her grandmother-in-law was coming to the house to teach her a typical grandmother thing, how to make preserves and jams from plums and peaches that they picked. And her grandmother always wore an apron. She had her feet in orthopedic shoes. She was like your classic old-time grandma. And Gail didn't know what kind of party she was going to. She might have been able to figure out figure it out if she had known the significance of being told to bring five $1 bills. But anyway, she and her grandmother-in-law went to this party. They each brought five $1 bills along with the present for the birthday girl, and it had turned out to be a male stripper party. And Gail was shocked but relieved when her grandmother-in-law got totally into it, started dancing along with the male stripper, giving him the dollars. In fact, she was so enthusiastic about giving him the dollars that she started taking everyone else's dollar bills and personally placing them on the body of the male stripper. So... I know not everybody will approve of that, but I thought it was funny. <laughs> it's a wonderful story. It just shows how, you know, this is life. This is about having fun, and this is about releasing inhibitions. And, and I think it's just a wonderful story because it, it, it's about just letting go. And the the moral of the story is being among people that can enjoy something for the moment. And that's why I chose that story. And it reminded me a lot about Elsa Mae Stevens, my progressive and spiritual mom. Here she's a Southern Baptist, but she's always been progressive. And I can tell her anything, and uh, this is something that she would do (laughs) and have Mm -hmm. a lot of fun. (laughs) The, The next chapter is Thanks for Being My Rock, Unconditional Love by Angel Therese Donnie. I liked this story by Angel because even if it makes people uncomfortable, Mm -hmm. it's really important for us to um, include stories like this in all of our parenting books because it is something that a lot of parents will deal with, and that is a child coming out. And in Angel's case, she and her mom had a real bond. Um, Her mom had been a battered woman, and Angel and her mom had had left their home and escaped to a shelter for battered women. 
and they had been very close, you know, um, living together in this very small town in northern Maine. But because it was a small town, Angel felt that it would be very difficult for her and her mom when Angel came out as gay, but she ended up doing it, and she was crying, and she said to her mom, I don't know how to to tell you this. I think I might be gay. And then her mom surprised her by saying, I think you should be an actress. You're so dramatic. (laughs) It isn't that big a deal. I love you, and nothing can change that. And so all those years of secrecy, all those years of worrying just evaporated. Um, Angel's mom came through for her. She was her rock. She showed her that unconditional love and support, and Angel was able to move forward with her life. Mm -hmm. It's a beautiful story. And the next one in the same category, Thanks for Being My Rock, is another terrific story. She Never Stopped Loving Me by Leanne Bryan. Yeah, so this is one where we've heard these stories about an abused wife who ends up taking the life of her husband in self-defense, and that's what happened to Leanne Bryant. And I actually went and looked up the press articles, you know, and verified everything about this, but um, Mm -hmm. Leanne was an abused wife. Her mom had told her before she even married this man that he was bad, and she didn't listen to her mother, a lesson to everybody out there. She should have listened to her mother (laughs) because she married this man anyway, and he was awful. And he threatened her life. He threatened the life of their child. And one day, Leanne, in self-defense, ran and got a gun and killed him. And then she was jailed. But then when it came to her trial, she was exonerated. Mm -hmm. And, um, And she was freed. And the lesson was that her mother loved her no matter what. And her mother came to that trial every day and supported her even though Leanne had completely gone against her mother and married that creep in the first place. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's a wonderful story and it shows about the bond. And I believe this. I believe that women in many, many ways have to stick together for the right reasons in this case, obviously. And so uh, that's just a wonderful story. And I wanted to bring it up in our conversation this morning. And the final chapter, and now I take care of you. And the title of the story is Rewind by Carla Cota. So this is the chapter I talked about, about how things come around and we end up parenting our parents at the end if we're lucky enough to have our parents live a long life. And uh, this is another poem. We seem to have a lot of great poems Mm -hmm. in this Mother's Day book. And in this case, Carla talks about how it's time for her to... um, take care of her mother after all the years that her mother took care of her. And I thought it was nice to conclude the book with that, to show that Mm -hmm. full circle of life. Mm -hmm. What are some of your favorite stories? Well, there's a great story um, that's actually the second story in the book. It's Mm -hmm. called Mom's Christmas Stocking, and Mm -hmm. it's by Daryl Wendy Strauss. Strauss, And it's about a woman whose mom... Um, left instructions for her kids. Her kids had always made her a Christmas stocking each year. And her mom's instructions were that after her death, her kids should continue to make a Christmas stocking for her each year and then give it to a needy woman in a shelter. And her kids started doing that, and then it grew, and it grew into a whole big nonprofit organization that makes stockings for women in need all over the country. And I've met um, Daryl Wendy Strauss, and I loved 
her story, and I I loved talking to her. I had lunch with her one day a few months ago, and I think it's great that they are honoring their mother, and every Christmas mm-hmm. they feel closer to their mother because they're carrying on this stocking tradition that their mother had asked them to start. It's a beautiful story. I believe we covered that in Thanks to My Mom for Mother's Day last year. So this is a wonderful, wonderful story to revisit again this year. I do love it, and I bet you I'm going to tell this story <laughs> on my podcast when Christmas comes this year there you because go. I, it's just one of my favorite stories. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I don't blame you. It's just a beautiful story. What's it's on the horizon for Chicken Soup? Well, we're doing a bunch of new things I'm excited about. We have mm-hmm. some really cool books coming out. I'm finishing up right now the editing of a book that I thought was an important book to make this year. It's called Mm -hmm. Chicken Soup for the Soul, The Spirit of America. And it's a very patriotic book about why we love America. And it cuts through all that negativity out there Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. reminds us that we're all one and we all love our country, even if we have different opinions about how we should run this country that we love. Mm -hmm. And we're actually going to be donating some of the royalties from the book to the Bob Woodruff Foundation, which works with veterans. Mm -hmm. So I'm very excited about that book that's coming out in June. And then we have a book coming out about gratitude that I'm doing with Deborah Norville. She's a specialist in the power of saying thank you. And then the other thing that's going on right now is that we have a wonderful uh, proactive anti-bullying program that we're rolling out in grades one through six nationwide, Mm -hmm. We're already getting orders, including in um, a big city. I don't know if I can say the name of it yet, but it's a really, really, mm-hmm. really big city where we've been mm-hmm. approved and they're placing orders. And then my new pet project, my own project, is mm-hmm. my Chicken Soup for the Soul podcast, which is available for free wherever you get your podcasts. And I tell a story every day, Monday through Friday, and our listenership is soaring. Fantastic. That's wonderful news. And as usual, we're waiting for the wonderful recipes for living that you can share with us this morning. Well, I think since we're talking about moms and how they need to feel confident about being moms and confident that what they do really makes a difference, and since I am a mom, I'm going to talk about five ways that you can feel confident about being a mom. And I think this would apply to dads as well or anybody who's in a mentoring or parenting Mm -hmm. position. Um, And I think that one thing that we all should remember is that how we parent our children is how they will parent our grandchildren. And another thing that I think we all have to remember, especially if we have teenagers, is that our kids will eventually understand just how awesome we really are. (laughs) Um, Another tip is that you really can create traditions that stay with your children for life. Another tip is that you can share the perspective you've gained with your children, even if they don't seem to be listening. Just pass on that wisdom you've learned. Tell them those stories about your own childhood because it really will get through to them. And finally, and you and I have talked about this a lot today, my fifth tip is the most important thing you can do is give your child that unconditional love. I agree. Those are wonderful, wonderful recipes for living. Thank you so much, Amy, and for spending this hour with me on From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. To all our listeners, thank you for being with us. Please join us on Tuesday morning, April 5th, 
Marie Jagopoulos, an intuitive counselor, healer, and spiritual mentor, will be here for her Healing Wisdom Hour series. For additional information about this show and future shows, please go to fmmktalkradio.com. Thank you for listening, and have a blessed week. Amy, it has been a true pleasure. Thank you again, and happy Easter to you and your loved ones. Oh, thank you so much. You too. Thank you. Bye-bye.